Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I am hitting the record button. It's a Sunday night. It's going to show up on the platform as Monday, but it is Sunday night. It's 7.45, and I'm normally asleep by this time, but I've been sleeping off and on all day. It's been a nice, lazy Sunday And uh, I just wanted to come and make contact with you before the weekend ends. I listened to some content today, about 30 minutes in length, by the name, uh, the person's name was Maria McMahon. McMahon, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. M-C-M-A-H-O-N. And she was interviewing another YouTuber that I've looked at, um, by the name of Joyce Ming. Now, I started watching Joyce's videos back in the spring. If you go, I've done a series on one of her content, INTJs, INTJ women, or seven, I think it's seven INTJ women. I think that's what I called it. But they ended up producing three reflections. I did three reflections from that one piece of content. I've watched other content from her but I have never reflected on it out loud except that one time so anyway she's somebody that I know I've only been like I said loosely following her since the spring um I don't consume her content as I do other youtubers but I I have consumed enough of it (laughs) um so it was really nice to see her in a different context normally I'm watching her be interviewing other people was it was nice to see her being interviewed there was something physical that was different about her I wonder would she recognize this or what would she have to say about my observations I've watched enough videos to know that when she was being interviewed in the content I looked at today her body she did there were two things that were distinctly different um And so that was interesting to me. I don't know if it means anything, but it was just interesting. Um, And the content was called Healing, uh, what is it called? Discussing the effects of trauma on personality types, on personality type. And so I, uh, this weekend I've been meditating on, I don't know if it's meditating. Ruminating? I don't know. I've been feeling a number of different emotions that are, in some ways, not aligned with each other. So let let me list a few of those emotions. Or feelings. You guys get what I'm saying. Um, Gratitude. Empathy, sorrow, grief. I think those are the, those are the main ones. Hope. And uh, those emotions are being are driven by this place that I'm at, like really knowing who I am. like I'm just I really feel like I know me. And in the last reflection that I uploaded, 
I had a list of random thoughts that I shared with you all. One of the thoughts was called the birth of an, the birth of a grown up. That was what was on me last weekend, the birth of a grown up. And I haven't unpacked that one with, with for you yet. But because I feel like I, I feel like I was just born, like, I just really know myself. And, uh, with this knowledge, this that knowledge of deep self, I'm traveling back in time, looking at earlier selves. And I am empathizing with her, the, the me that of my twenties, the me of my teens, the me of my thirties. You get the point. <laughs> um, I'm empathizing with her struggles. She struggled. I struggled. And I can take this knowledge that I have, this deep knowledge that I have of the self in this moment in time, and take that knowledge and look at the struggles that I had when I was younger and understand the struggle. I understand it. And so I have gratitude today. I'm appreciating that I can understand I appreciate that. I have gratitude that I have access to a system, a theory, a theoretical system that allows me to do two things, to know the self deeply in present tense and allows me to go back in time and, and examine the early, the younger, an earlier version of myself, especially a self that was struggling. And uh, that's, there's a lot of gratitude. In that there's sorrow in what I I can see as I travel back in time. Especially, it's not just the suffering that I went through when I was younger. But it's almost like unnecessary suffering. If only, right? If only the people around me had a better understanding of personality theory. Things could have looked different for me. If only I had an understanding earlier on. Things could have looked different for me. So there's a grief and a sorrow of time lost, right? What feels like lost time. So that's where the grief and the sorrow comes in. Come in. But then there's that gratitude that I could actually go back in time and reorganize my experiences. This is, oh boy, oh boy, something is about to open up in my mind that I am not proficient in talking about. So once I open it up, it's going to be a train wreck. And I want to talk about this content. Oh, I'm going to try. Oh my God. Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But here's what it is. I'm I'm not going to unpack it, but I want to at least put it out there so one day I'll come back if I forget to do it today. And that is... This notion of time travel. (laughs) And if you go back to fix something in your past, will you be fixing something? Will you change the present? And there are different, you know, there are different conversations out there about that. But I all of a sudden just witnessed, I just had a, like a, a, idea bubble pop up like huh me traveling back making sense of that those struggles that I had when I was younger in some ways 
it's going to have a transforming impact on who I am today. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, I want to say more, but I'm going to leave that alone. So, yeah, so that's the mudra, um, just um, both grat, you know, glad that I have a deep sense of self, that I can go back and make meaning of things that I couldn't make meaning of before or go back and reorganize things I'd organized before because I have a better understanding of what I was experiencing. And without the language, I couldn't properly store it. I couldn't properly organize it. And uh, so I'm glad I can do that. I also have sorrow and grief of time lost. And then I have hope that with it, that I, at 50, can do something new. And I can. I can control that. I can, I can move forward in the world and be a person. I won't say unimpacted by the trauma. I can't, I don't, I don't even think I would want to, but to not be weighted by the trauma, to not be burdened by the trauma. That is a better way of saying it. And well, the opportunities that are out there for me, I'm, I am a little excited. <laughs> I am really excited. So anyway, so that, that's the mood that's been on me. And, uh, um, I've been thinking about writing a, another book. I'm still trying to, a book that I finished and I told you guys about, um, I need to be honest, I need to confess. A book that I told you guys about in um, this time last year, I had a goal to get it finished. And I did. And I celebrated that. But as I started going through the editing um, process, Excuse me, as I started to go through the publishing process with a publisher, I looked at the content and I, I was like, oh no. And that's because I had written this very short book over a span of about three to four years. So my thinking had evolved. I don't want to say my writing style, I think my writing purpose evolved. So when I first started writing that book, it was for a different reason and a different audience than when I finished the book. And you can literally see different writing styles. So I couldn't, I asked the publisher, please don't do anything. I took the book back and I've been working on it. And, uh, and then, you know, I just got into the rhythm with me moving, getting a new job. I had to park. I, I wasn't able to go into a lot with the book. And then right when I started getting back into revising it, my dad passed. You guys know that that took me off my off my schedule. And so I would say the last three weeks, the last three weeks I've been, three to four weeks, I've been getting up early in the morning and um, really, you know, re- rewriting. <laughs> really, it's been, I think about 40% of that book I've, I've rewritten. Isn't that something? Anyway. So um, there's a part of me that wants to write another book, a book. I mean, um, so the book that I'm fixing now is on education. And then I have another book on education that I have to do. Um, and then I pray that after I get these two books out, that there will be room and time enough for me to write a book up on, on more of a personal level that's outside of the field of education. And... Uh, 
I'm thinking I'm going to write that book for practitioners. I might. Because I'm like, who's my audience? Because that's going to make the difference. And I think because there's not a lot, there are not a lot of practitioners who who come to the table with my unique blend of experiences that if I can share my story with those practitioners, then they'll be better when they're serving people who are like me. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. That's what I, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do that. So anyway, I was just thinking, uh, if I write this book to these practitioners, what will be the lens? What will be the primary focus? Am I going to use personality theory or will I focus and then bring, and then bring in trauma and some other things? Or will I focus on trauma and then bring in personality theory? And then a thought hit me. Well, what if you, um, what, What's already out there where those two come together equally? Instead of trying to lead with one and then support it with another theory, can you put them side by side? And what? how have other people put personality theory and trauma side by side? So I said all of that, y'all, 15 minutes almost. All of that I said just to tell you why I went and found some. how I stumbled on Maria's uh, content. In, in that where she interviews Joyce, and apparently she published this just a month ago. So this is this is some new content actually, and it was just because I was looking for anything out there that puts trauma and personality theory side by side. And um, so I still want to do some research on it. I didn't I didn't linger in the research. As soon as I saw this video, I was like, "Oh, let me let me watch that." <laughs> So anyway, I really want to spend some time looking and seeing how other people have put personality theory and trauma side by side as equals, as equal as equal considerations, or even a joint, like some kind of hybrid theory, right? So that's what stumbled on. Uh, that's that's why I watched the content. And so what I'm going to do on the other side of the disclaimers, and yes, I'm still going to do my disclaimers, even though we're 15 minutes in. Um, I'm just going to, on the other side of the disclaimers, I'm going to just uh, just talk a little bit about the content and some of the things it made me think about. I don't have any notes. Sometimes I, I should, I don't, I'm just going to freestyle it. I mean, it's what I normally do, but if I'm responding to someone's content, I'd like to have a clear sense of what my response is going to be. But I don't have any notes, so we're just going to see what happens okay so i'm going to do my disclaimers and then we will talk a little bit about uh the effects of trauma on personality type with joyce ming by the interviewer maria mcmahon am i saying that correctly if you're new to this project this is a personal journal i've already said that where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theories. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs typology indicator and in that system I'm an INTJ and the Enneagram. And in that system I'm a type 8. Bringing those two together, I do identify as an INTJ 8 and an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. 
I'm a trained and practicing educator for about 30 years and have spent half of my career in some doing some form of leadership. I've had a recent breakthrough about my my background and connection to leadership, by the way. But that's not the purpose of this reflection, so I won't even try to open that up. Um, I also identify as a critical race feminist, and that's important because it will help to understand why I zero in on certain things from my inner and my outer worlds. Um, Really, one day I'd like to just take the INTJ8 framing that I've created when I push those two together and put it side by side with critical race feminism. Because I'm wondering if I don't even need to say I'm a critical race feminist. If being an INTJ8... Uh, we'll cover it. I think the reef, but I, I, I started playing with this idea of critical race feminism because I was trying to find a way to, it, as a disclaimer, to let people know when they come to this project, I'm not an apologist. And a lot of times, not always, let me fix this. I'm, I don't know if this is just my experience, but. African Americans who are degreed and are working in a professional setting, they often become apologetic to some of the power structures in the world because they've made it in it, right? So they're not going to be critical of those power structures because they're in those power structures are giving them some level of some kind of success. Well, I'm not apologetic. I'm critical of power structures. And as an African-American woman, I want to make that explicit. When someone comes to this project, you're not going to hear me ignoring some of these power dimensions in our society. And you definitely won't hear me apologizing or making excuses for them. And that is different. You can go to other African Americans and they will, that's fine. They like it, I love it, right? Um, So I just wanted you all, I think that's critical race feminism is really about me just letting you know I'm unapologetic uh, around power, about my location, my ability to locate power, my ability, and desire to confront power, particularly when it's oppressive. Okay? You guys, this project is unedited, it's unscripted. I've gotten gotten into a habit of generating, like, random note, like, uh, thoughts, but those aren't even notes for an episode. I just, I'll start off the show and say, these are the things I'm thinking about, and let's see where I go. Because I feel like there are there are gems, there's value in the unscripted, the unplanned. And as an INTJ, that was a very hard thing to allow myself to do when I first started this project. But I'm feeling I'm I don't struggle with that at, at all. But I did very very much struggle with it when I first started this project. So I'm unedited and I'm unscripted. Okay. If you want to know more about this project, you can go to my website at youranidown.wordpress.com. Okay, so let's talk. One of the things, um, 
one of the things that one convert one point what do I say? One point in the conversation that stood out to me was this idea that without a framework, without a framework, an NI Dom can be maligned growing up because we're different. And I've talked I've talked about this before a number of times. But I was it stood out to me when they were talking about it because it was like I was like, Yes, right. And I've and I think other people talked about this. As NI Dobbs, if particularly if you were raised in a sensory world, we don't have a relationship with the sensory environment. They the way sensors do. And when you are of the minority, and as a black woman, I could speak as a and as a non-conforming black woman, there are a number of ways that I can talk as a quote unquote minority, even though I don't like that term. I don't like that term, and I don't really even like woman a person of color. But I'll I'll tolerate person of color more than I will tolerate a minority. But anyway, but when you are quote unquote the minority. You see things in a different way because the majority, they're sharing, it's like they have a shared brain. They have a shared brain. There are these assumptions that they never unpack or poke because it's just, they don't even realize it is a thing because they share it. But when you don't share it, then you have to learn it and explore it as a thing. And then you question, why don't I have it? So I just never had the relationship with the outer world the way the censors did. And I think the majority can vilify, pathologize, problematize people who don't act in the way of the majority when they act different. So... That's been that's been my theory for a long time, and I think I talked to you guys. I'm, I've said this before on this project. I, this is one of the reasons why I fell in love with personality theory, and I think Joyce said this in in the video. Um, I didn't have a healthy frame to put on my difference. The only frame that I had to explain me being different were the frames that the world gave me around me, the world around me. And it was a negative frame because the world I came from did not value difference. And I want to say two worlds, my immediate family. And I think in some ways, in a broad sweeping generalization, African Americans. And that's really dangerous for me to say that because it, it it could easily be not true, <laughs> and it could be regional. But the reason why I'm, I'm I'm taking the risk of being grossly wrong, right? Could be grossly wrong. But the reason why I'm taking the leap to do to 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 err in that way is because of what I understand about survival. In order for a group of people to survive, they kind of have to be united in some way. 
an African-Americans based in just the history, our survival depended on a, a, a reliance on each other. We couldn't, it just had to, it just had to happen. We, we wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have made it. We didn't have that. So I think in a, I can easily make a case that an African-American who's different is a threat to the safety of the tribe, of the, of the collective. So, uh, yeah. So that's, and then I know that my family, my family from, uh, from intergenerational trauma and one of the things was um, my grandfather being at uh, his alcoholism, how it impacted his kids. And if you study adult children of alcoholic parents, uh, there are some common traits. One is that they like to present out, project out goodness to the world. So if you put that together, right, you put that this need to buy all unite to survive. If we, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna function a particular way, and then we're going to not only not only are we going to function a particular way, we're going to project out goodness to the world. And I didn't want to do either of those things. I didn't do that. I'm not. I'm not going to say I didn't completely do it. There were some things that I played the part of. I played as part the part that was given to me by my family. But it was, it wasn't the part that was good for me. Um, so anyway, that's that. That's why it's important to go back and travel in time and rename that experience. Rename, reorganize my perception of the world that was formed from that, those experiences. So it was just going back to uh, uh, Joyce and Maria. I'm assuming it's Maria. Um, going back to those, their conversation, I really did appreciate hearing that without a, a personality theory as a frame, you can have this really negative, unhealthy sense of self. Because you can only use, you're using the, the systems or the frames that the world has given you. And so, um, and then she talked, I think Joyce talked about having role models and mentors to guide you in, to be a guide for you as you are in your healthy self. There's a healthy version of you that's different from the world around you. The world around you doesn't understand that difference. And if they're not healthy, they will malign you. And the reason why I say that if they're not healthy, they'll malign you. Because I think you can be different in the world around you and, 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 and then be treated, your, your differences be treated as something special and beautiful, you know. I was on. I was interviewed on someone's podcast a few years ago, and I talked about. I had read this. Uh, I, I had read somebody say that 
they fight the world. They they're they're committed to doing social change so that their child who's different can be safe and healthy and prosperous in the world. And my family tried to change me so I could be prosperous and healthy in the world. So one parent tries to change the world to accommodate the child. The other parent tries to change the child to accommodate the world or to, yeah, yeah, to accommodate the world. I think I want to say it that way. So when you, so I think you can be different and and still grow up with a healthy identity, but it's only when the world around you, they're unhealthy or underdeveloped and they can't. They don't know how to celebrate your differences, particularly if your differences um, don't re if your differences rub up against them in some challenging ways. And INTJs, we we can just be challenging. So it is what it is. So I just really like that idea of having a mentor and wondering what would have life been like. And then guess what I thought about? I don't want to get sad. But my dad was that. But the reason why that's hard, why I don't, I didn't, I don't think of him as the mentor for me, because he was adversarial. So I'm going through the process of finding out about my dad's family. I'm learning. I have somebody who's into genealogy, and uh, she, she's locating. I don't know, I don't know anything about my grandparents. I don't know where they come from on my dad's side. I talk about my, my maternal grandparents. I know about that side of my family. I can go back a few generations. I know nothing about my dad's family. I know my dad and his sister. That's pretty empty when I think about it. Now, his sister had kids and grandkids, so I know them. And then they had some first cousins, and I've met them a few times, including his funeral. (laughs) Um, But that's, I mean, so I don't know why I never really had a huge appetite. I never had an appetite to know his family because he never talked about it. He never talked about his dad or my mother. My aunt, maybe. He, 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 if my father mentioned his parents, it would be something like, yeah, sometimes they would fight and argue, you know. But that's it. Never. He never talked about, he never even talked about I knew I was going to say he didn't talk about his childhood, but that's not true. Like, I knew he he found ways to make money, you know. I knew when he went to school. But that's just just not a lot of memories he shared. He just didn't share them. And because his grandparents, his parents, my grandparents, his grandmother died when my father was 16. Excuse me. My dad's mother died when he was 16. And I think his father died when he was Maybe 22, 22, 23. So 
I don't know those people. I mean, I don't know. So anyway, that's a rabbit hole. I'm in the process. Um, this friend of mine is into genealogy. I, t- I, I want to know. I, it started off by saying, I want to know my grandmother's maiden name. I really, because I want to know if I have family. My aunt refuses to give that information. She doesn't want us to know any of that. So now it makes me really want to know, right? What's going on? Like, why would you hold that? Why would you not want us to know our grandparents? Like, what are you hiding? So, and I was talking to my aunt on my mother's side, my youngest aunt, and she said, you have a right to know. Those are your, that's your family. That's where you come from. It, it helps you to know yourself better. You have a right to know that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> so anyway, so my friend is kind of like doing this. I didn't even know that she had started the process. I just told her my dad had passed a few days later. And I said, I wanted to find my grandmother's uh, family. A few days later, she said, "Is this was this your dad? I was like, yeah. That was, I mean... And then she's she came back. She's found she found their um, she's found a few artifacts that were registered and stored like documents. She's good, you guys. She's really good. She should do it for a living, and she loves doing it. But anyway, why am I why am I on this rabbit hole? Why am I in here? Why am I here? I don't even know why I went down this rabbit hole. But anyway, (laughs) um, I'm going to just start talking somewhere. There was a reason why I started talking about genealogy, and I can't connect it right now. Um, Oh, I know why. Okay. Okay, so my dad um, just didn't share that part of his life. And that's fine, but he was adversarial. And if you guys need to know more about the complicated relationship I had with my dad, Go listen to any of the reflections I did in September uh, from the 15th on. He died on the 15th. So all of September, that was like I was a hot mess. So you can listen to that. You can also listen to the reflection I called Jack in a Box. That That was an episode about my dad, about how he was in our lives but not in our lives. He would come. He would leave. We didn't know when he was leaving. He would get mad and all of that. So... But the reason why I bring him up today when I'm talking about role models because I wouldn't have, I would not have considered him a role model. That's not true. I would not have considered him a role model. The way that these these ladies were talking about role models. Now my father was was an entrepreneur and a salesman. I always told people he would sell the underwear off your butt. He could do that. He was just that convincing. Um, but his primary identity was he was an entrepreneur, and I inherited that. And in that way, I know he modeled for me. I'm having a, I'm having a, uh, I'm, I'm having something that, something that's going on inside of me right now. I don't know if it's an epiphany or if it's. Uh, of conviction, I'm not sure. But anyway, I, if I open that up, I'll never get to this. I'll never finish what I want to talk about. So I'm going to have to ignore that 
what's going on in my head right now. But uh, so I'm, I, I, I got that from him. And I remember when I started my first school and I was trying to partner with somebody and I was like, I can't keep waiting. And she said, you have people who have stepped out and started a business. I've never seen that. So um, she had all kinds of reservation and excuses. And she was right. Now, my mother has done like little side entrepreneurial gigs. But my dad has lived, made a, you know, his whole livelihood off of his entrepreneurship. And... Uh, God, I'm having a breakthrough right now. I'm gonna have to come. I'm gonna have to hit the stop. But when I hit the stop button, if I have enough energy, I'm gonna come back and do another reflection. But if I don't do it today, I hope to do it soon. Um, so I knew he was a model for me in that way. But the way these women were talking about in the video, in this video, is that being an ni dom, being different, and having somebody that can talk to you about being different. And helping you to celebrate that difference. And helping you see yourself in the world in a positive and healthy way because of that difference. I wouldn't have said he did that. But he but he did. Even though he was complicated. Even though our relationship was adversarial. He actually did do that for me. So after the funeral, I told my uh, aunts and my mother, on my mom's side, obviously, that I felt like a part of me was left at the funeral home. And my aunt, one of my aunts said, not the other, my middle aunt um, said, don't say that. Go, don't say your part of you was left at that funeral home. You need to go write. You need to be. You need to write something to be connected to your dad. Do what you have to do, but do not say that a part of you was left at the funeral. And I kind of understood why she was having that kind of like reaction, like, like angry, like no. <laughs> but it clicked to me when I was listening to these women, Joyce and Maria, why I felt that a part of me was left at that funeral. I don't know if my dad was an NI user, I mean, a, a dominant NI. Most days I can make the argument that he was. He was not always tethered to reality the way a censor would be, quote-unquote reality, connected to reality. Um... You know, even how he handled his cancer and his body's breaking down. Like, he was definitely mind over matter. I, and that's what I think about often. If if he could envision it in his mind, the physical reality, if, if the physical reality did not match what existed in his mind, he was not going to be bound or crippled or held back by the physical reality. It was mind over matter. He, what was real for him, what was in it, was in his mind. More though, more than what was in the physical world. And that sounds like N.I. Dom to me. <laughs> but then he had this really weird way of upholding tradition. Um, 
some traditions that really surprised me. And I don't know that that it just confuses me. Like I'm like, is that SI? So uh, let me just say, I'm gonna just say my father was either an I I believe he was an INDJ. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know because then I could say maybe an ENTJ because ENTJs are. They have an introverted nature about themselves, as I've read. They don't, they're not, oh my God. An ENFJ or ESFJ, oh my God. I'm sharing an office with an ENFJ and an ESFJ. And I've encountered both of those types before to know them. But I've never been in a, a space with them, like literally. That FE, oh my word. Oh my word! So, so anyway, so anyway, I don't know. He could have been. A, he could have been ENTJ. I don't know, but I do believe. Let's just say he was NI, NITE, whichever NITE or TENI. Let's just say that. Even though he never got to a place where he could help me. In my personal life, I don't know. I don't know. Because, let me tell you what he would do. He would talk to me about... He would talk about himself, really. (laughs) And I grew up knowing and seeing when he was around, when he allowed us to have access to him. Him... Building a life based on his imagination. Building businesses based on his imagination. Writing things down from his imagination. And I knew it was possible. So in a way, he modeled that for me. He modeled great and deep thinking. Like, I love metaphors. And uh, I don't talk to people. If I have to talk to people about comp- complex concepts, I don't do it without a metaphor or drawings. So my coworkers all know that when we get into conversations, I have to have a, a whiteboard, right? One of my coworkers even bought me a set of whiteboard markers and an eraser because I'm always like, I need a marker and so I can explain and I start drawing things out. <laughs> and if I don't have a whiteboard and I don't have a metaphor... That I'll take whatever objects are around me to create some kind of map, conceptual map, to explain what it is, the concept I want to get through. Okay, you guys, I put you on hold for about two minutes, so <laughs> um, there's going to be a break in the flow of what I was saying. But I think that the point, the just the main, the main point is that he, he, he did give me a model. Of myself. But I think because of the complication of our relationship. And the complications of who he was. I couldn't see that. Completely. And then I had a. You know my mom. 
would often say I was like my father in a very negative way. So even if I did see parallels, I would try to distance myself from that. And uh, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. So anyway, I think that's why I feel like he, I left a part of me at the at the funeral home because he's the only other person that I know that has that part in my family that would have the NI and the TE at the top of the stack. And um, that's gone. You know, that's that's gone. And so anyway... But I guess some family, some NI doms don't have any, don't have any um, NI-ness around them. So I think the fact that I had a person who had that, um, who had the function, even if it was unhealthy, even if it was encased in an unhealthy orientation, then that's good. So anyway, so just listening to Joyce and Maria talk about having role models and even going out asking (laughs) Maria said she contacted somebody on the internet like can you advise me on how you do what you do with these functions Uh, and um, I could totally relate to that and I think the last thing I want to say that I got from the video uh, or that just just made me think rather or where I connected is this I how they said the personality theory kind of helps you, gives you a a frame for the self. Like a compass for the self. And I say that all the time. That's why I don't think it's problematic to identify with personality systems. Because it's giving you, it's giving you a starting point to, to claim yourself to claim who you are in a in a world that's very much competing to try to make you be what it needs you it needs you to be that they need you to be personality theory allows you to claim your own identity claim your own sense of self and uh, I heard that's kind of I heard that sentiment echoed in that conversation, I feel like there was more that I was going to say to the a video, but I think those are the main things. I guess I'm going to I'm going to close here. I'm going to talk about uh, the physical difference I saw in in uh, Joyce in, as she was being interviewed versus when she's interviewing. Now I don't know if that's a pattern. I don't know if it's if it is a pattern because I've not seen her being interviewed other than this one time. So I don't know if this is something she does when she's being interviewed, but I am going to say it's something I have not seen her do. So there there are two things that she did. You're only going to appreciate this if you know who I'm talking about. Well, okay, one thing she does that I do is she does this, um, like, spontaneous laughter. (laughs) Like she'll you'll be talk she'll talk and she'll say something and then she'll just laugh and then keep talking like so it's not this it's not laughter from a joke and it's not laughter where she finds something so funny and she explains why she laughs it's just a laughter it's like a short 
and she keeps going. I do that, <laughs> right? Like I just did it. Um, I, I laugh at the comical, in, like there's something comical going on in my head, or I laugh at the irony, or just sometimes I laugh at the, the absurdity of something. And, uh, and I, I don't even stop to explain the laughter. It's just a part of me. So I've noticed that she does that. I've noticed that she does it a lot, actually, because sometimes it's distracting for me. And I only say it's distracting for me because it's me. <laughs> I guess. So it, it forces, it makes me think about when I laugh like that. Um, I remember when I first started working with my heart coach, she's like, what's, she, she called me out on it. Like, why do you find that funny? And it was something I would laugh like at something that was ironic or something that I perceived to be odd. Like if it was odd, I would laugh. I would do that laughter, uh, contradictory. And it's, con- it's conceptually driven. It's, uh, it's, it is a laughter that's connected to a tension point located at one or two or more concepts coming together. This is what I think. I don't know why she does it. I don't know why Joyce does it. But that's why I think I do it. So it's distracting when she does it because it's making me think about when I do it. But she didn't do that at all in this interview. And if she did, I, I missed it. Then if she if she did it, I, I didn't catch it. But she does it a lot when she's when she was when she's doing the interviewing. So it makes me wonder what is the how would she explain that split laughter? <laughs> See, I just did it. Um, and then the second thing that I noticed about her is it's this kind of girly thing. I see girl women do it. It is very, very feminine. Like they take their hair and they... Oh, I can't explain it. Like they take it and they not just flip it or comb through it, but it's just something like it's not twirling like you could twirl your hair. But it's just a very feminine gesture. And uh, that was exaggerated. Excuse me. I saw that more. I've seen that. I, I saw that more in this interview than I did in her other videos. And I don't know if that means anything. But, oh, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. I did notice that. But that's not significant. The one that is very significant is her movement. So I don't know if this is something she does all the time. I, it might be. But I I move like she moves. So when the person interviewed asked her a question, as she was answering the question, her body swayed. Maybe side to side, maybe front to back. And I have gone back looking and looked at videos of myself when I've recorded. I'm recording and like when I'm in my imagination, like if I'm recounting information to you, if I'm telling you information, I don't sway. But if I'm up in my head and I'm conceptualizing, imagining and trying to download that, especially to talk about it. There's a moving movement in my body, and I always wonder, like, I don't see other INTJs doing that. 
Well, she, Joyce is not an INTJ. She's an INFJ. God knows I'm not an INFJ. <laughs> um, but I didn't know how to make sense of that. And so what I'm wondering is, I wonder if she's like me. I'm like high off the radar and intuitive. Um, because I think even though Myers-Briggs is not based on like a scale, like once you're in, once you're an introverted intuitive, that's all that, once you're an intuitive, that's all that matters. Once you're an introverted, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter the scale of it, but there is a scale like, and I'm, I'm like off the charts intuitive. I'm not off the charts into it and um, introverted, and I'm not off the charts thinking, and I'm not off the charts judging, but I am off the charts in uh, in my intuition. So putting that together with NI and the S, I'm just wondering if um, I wonder if my I, if I'm more connected to the intuition through my body. I don't know if I'm saying that right. If I have a greater connection with the body as an intuitive engine. And when you're talking, you're moving the body to access that. I don't know. This is like, I don't know. I don't even, I've never heard anybody talk like this. I'm just guessing. <laughs> but, um, so she, she, she had a little bit of a sway to her. And, uh. And I think if I think back on our other videos, I could see it. But I think the sway is more pronounced when she was going, looking for, when she was um, accessing her intuition. I think that's when the sway, when the sway was more pronounced. So anyway, that's all I got. I don't know how this reflection uh it's going to come off. I'm not going to listen to it uh, tonight. But I hope that the rabbit holes I fell into when I was talking about my dad uh, wasn't too distracting. Oh, let me say this one thing before I end. Um, I want to just try to go back to that comment. What happened to me earlier in the fr reflection when I got distracted in my head about time travel <laughs> and um, going back if you can travel back and make a different and create a different story or yeah create a different version of an event does that mean you can change who you are in the present and i think I feel like this is something I've heard in, I don't know if the spiritual uh, arena, but it's almost like I can, it's almost making me think you can go back and change your past. I don't know if it sounds woo-woo or weird, right? But just let's entertain that. If I can go back and create a different narrative or different understanding of experiences I had when I was younger... Then by default, by it automatically changes who I am today. So I can change my presence, my present self, by changing my past self. 
That's interesting. I'm going to chew on that. Will you chew on that with me? You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about trauma and personality theory has uh, been a part of any conversation you've had in the world, will you take this link and share it with those participants? Do what I call an open, excuse me, a meaningful share. Share it with someone you know will appreciate. Not the podcast in general, not this project, but this particular conversation. All right? And if my moving about in this reflection and the rabbit holes that I fell in, if they have inspired some random, if they inspired some randomness in you, will you please find a way to share that randomness with me? I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Twitter, yournidom1. Facebook, NIDOM Leadership. YouTube, you're NIDOM. Okay? And let me give you your assignment. Hold on. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to give you one other thing before I give you your assignment. I've been looking at those cognitive functions in the lower stack, in the shadow stack. And um, SI for me is what we, I guess you would call the demon, right? And I really have appreciated thinking about SI as a demon for me because I can see when I do it, it usually is in a way that makes me sad or gives me anxiety or it's haunting. But this thing about traveling back in time to rename an event, to make meaning out of it, to reorganizing it, it feels like a, a different way to experience that SI function. So that's what I wanted to say. All right, now I'm going to give you your homework assignment. One second. Let's talk about I want you to think about being different. And it doesn't have to be different in terms of cognitive functions or or personality. Just what's something about you that's different? And how has the world treated that difference in you? How does the world treat it? How How do they understand it? And as a result, how do you relate to your own difference? Think about how the world relates to that difference. Think about how you relate to that difference. And is there room for growth? So if the world looked at that difference in a negative way, do you need to do some cleaning, like some healing from that? Um, yeah. There was one other thing in the video that they talked about the differences with personality theory in schools. Like when we get to the place where we can understand that we are different on the inside, we'll be better able to serve all kids. I wanted to say that. That was as an educator, I really appreciated that. But getting back to you, how do you look at your difference? And how does how does the way you look at your difference? How has it been influenced by how the world treats your difference? There it is. Look at how you find an, find an area in which you're different. Explore the way you relate to that difference, and then connect it to how the world relates to the difference, and see if there's any room for growth. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.